All right. Thank you very much. <clears throat> what we just experienced in the sharing time is exactly why I'm so glad we went to the sharing time again. If you would turn to Ephesians chapter 3, and if you would stand as I read this, um, just give you a chance to stretch a little bit um, before we um, get into the word. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 is what I'd like to read for us as we focus our heart on the Word of God and what it has to say about our Father uh, who loves us. In verse 14 of Ephesians 3, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. All right. Well, as we've said, again, happy Father's Day to all our fathers. And uh, so much appreciate your sharing. It's very encouraging. And I thank the Lord for it. Um, Obviously, today we're going to continue talking about the love of God But today we're going to be talking specifically about the love of God the Father for his own children. And it's very fitting that we do so on this Father's Day. There was a father and a a mother who were first-time fathers and mothers who were bringing their children, uh, or their first child rather, home from the hospital. And I can remember us bringing Emily home the first time, and we were walking out of the hospital thinking, they're really going to let us take her home. This is awesome. Both amazing and crazy. I think maybe they don't know what what they're doing by letting us go home with this little baby. But God was gracious, and she survived, and we're very thankful for that. And all the others did too. Uh, sometimes you wonder, but in this case, the story, as the story goes, they did that. They brought this first baby home, and the mother looked at the father and said, "So uh, you want to begin learning how to change diapers?" And the new father said, "Well, you know, I'm busy right now." I'll uh, I'll do the next one. And so anyway, the next time the new little baby got wet and needed a, a diaper change, the, the mother went to the father and said, so uh, you ready to learn how to change diapers now? And he kind of looked at her with a puzzled look and said, I didn't mean the next diaper. I meant the next one. <laughs> the next child is <laughs> what I meant. I, I need a little more time to get used to this. I think about that in terms of the kinds of sharing that we've heard this morning. We've talked about fathers that um, we could readily praise and give thanks for and other fathers that we find it a little more difficult to praise and give thanks for. And uh, the reality is all fathers are imperfect. Uh, All fathers fail to be everything that they should be or could be uh, to one degree or another except one father. And that's the father that we've been worshiping and singing about so far 
And yet that doesn't mean we can't be thankful for imperfect fathers. We can be thankful for whatever good God did through them for us and to us, whatever it might be. And we should, we should, even if it's hard, we should seek to find whatever good in our fathers that we can praise and thanks, thank God for. And remember that fatherhood in general, whether however imperfect it might be, it's not meant to cause us to look to that person to be all for us. It's meant ultimately to point us to the Heavenly Father. That's the real purpose of earthly fathers one way or the other. And um, regardless of how perfect or imperfect, well, regardless of how imperfect your father was, he still, in a sense, is going to point you to the Heavenly Father. And that's what is so important one way or the other. And so we want to look at that today and think about that today. Um, There's a Puritan named John Owen that a lot of people think is one of the greatest theologians in the history of the church. And he wrote a book called uh, Communion with the Triune God. And in that book, he talks a lot about the love of the Father and how important it is for Christians to really understand the love of the Father. He said, this is what Christ came to reveal, God as a Father. He says, when you read 1 John 4, 8, and it says God is love, he would argue that we should hear that as the Father is love. And he says this, which is pretty profound when you think about it. He says, the love of the Father is the only rest for the soul. The only rest for the soul, which means that all that the Lord Jesus came to do was to bring us into a relationship with God the Father that would bring us the rest that our hearts long for and ache for. And so whatever your experience has been with your earthly father, it's all meant to point you toward the heavenly father who is the only one who can be the rest for your soul and my soul. And so in this passage today, we want to look at this, the reality of the father's love. Obviously, in this passage, it doesn't speak specifically of the love of the Father. It talks about the love of Christ. And yet, we need to think about it, I think, in terms of how John Owen thinks about it and how the Bible talks about it, because the Bible says Jesus came to reveal the Father. So to look at or talk about the love of Christ is to look at and talk about the love of the Father. Jesus could talk to his disciples and say, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've experienced my love, you've experienced the love of the Father. And so even though this passage speaks specifically of the love of Christ, I think we should hear it in terms of not only the love of Christ, but it pointing to the love of the Father and to think about it in terms of Christ came that we might experience the love of the Father. And a lot of what Paul is talking about in this book and in chapter 3 of Ephesians is about the gospel of the good news of the Son who came to give us access to the Father. And so we want to think about that and look at that this morning. And so the very first verse says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. And the first thing he says is that I'm, I'm going to be praying to God the Father, and I'm going to be asking certain things. And I'm, In particular, the, the heart of this Uh, request is in verse 19 when he says to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge to know what you can never fully know to know something that you can know more of 
but you can never fully know. And that is the heart of the request that he's making to God the Father is that these believers and we, as the children of God, would know, comprehend the love of God as it's seen in Christ and as it points to God the Father. And the reasons have to do with verse 13, where he says, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. Now there's a lot in chapter 3 and chapter 2 that could also come into play here, but I just want to focus on that phrase, lose heart. I don't want you to lose heart at my suffering, just like I don't want you to lose heart at your suffering. And therefore I'm going to pray for something. I'm not going to pray that you don't have any suffering. I'm going to pray that you will know even more deeply and richly the love of the Father for you. That's what I'm going to pray. And so I am praying, and when he says I bow my knees to the Father, that's what it means, I'm praying. Actually, the the, uh, normal uh, position of prayer for the Jewish people at that day and time was to stand. That's why Jesus could say in one place in the Gospels, when you stand praying, forgive. Because that was the normal position. But when people were really passionate and really concerned and really burdened, they usually hit their face or hit their knees. And so it expresses uh, Paul's passion for them to know the love of God for them in light of all the various things that could cause you to lose heart. And my me as well, to lose heart in this life, but also for another reason. At the end of this uh, prayer, at the beginning of chapter 4, he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, why would he even say something like that? It's because they needed to hear that. It's because they weren't necessarily having an easy time showing tolerance or walking in unity or... Uh, loving each other. Which the reality is in a fallen world, we all struggle with that to one degree or another in various relationships and various circumstances. And so therefore, he says, therefore, in light of what I'm just praying, my hope and prayer in light of what I've just prayed for you is that you would be empowered to love. And so where's that empowering for love going to come from in a fallen world with even believers who aren't perfect, imperfect fathers, imperfect believers, imperfect people all around you? How are you going to be empowered to love by knowing in greater, deeper, richer ways the love of the perfect father? So that's why he's praying what he's praying in this context. And it's so important for us to see that. In verses 14 through 16, he talks about the fact that it is a gift. It's not something that we can just work up on our own. It's something that God has to give us. Now, he uses the truth of the word, and this is very important. We'll see this in a minute, but it's still something that God has to give us. So he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, or it could be translated, many people would say it's probably better translated, the whole family, speaking of the family of God, speaking of Christians. He's talking to Christians. He's talking about the love of the Father for his his family, in heaven and on earth. So the, the interesting thing about this is 
that he's, he's praying that these believers on earth would know the love of the Father in greater, deep, deeper, richer ways. And yet he's praying in light of the fact that there's some family that's already gone to heaven. There's some believers that are already in heaven. And they actually are going to be doing the same thing that we're supposed to be doing. Growing in their knowledge of the love of God. In fact, that's what heaven, heaven is going to be like. It's going to be growing in the knowledge of the love of God forever. Why? Because we can never fully know a love that is surpassing knowledge. And so even in heaven, believers are about finding out more about the love of God for them. And he's praying the same thing for these believers here. Um, from whom um, we get our name, the Father, which means the older I get, the more I realize how much I am beginning to look like my dad and am like my dad. It's really something, you know. It's really an interesting dynamic when you get older and you realize, wow, yeah, I am beginning to look like and act like my dad in various ways. Well, that's what Paul is saying when he talks about every believer in heaven or on earth gets its name, gets its character, gets its likeness from the Father. And and yet, we can be real believers who are really the children of God, who have some likeness to the Father, and yet we need to grow in that likeness because we're far from being like him as we should be. And the key to it is actually knowing in greater, deeper, richer ways his love for us. And so we can ask the question, why is it important, beyond what I've already said, for Paul to pray this prayer? I mean, if somebody came up to you today and said, uh, how can I pray for you? You got one shot, <laughs> one request. Um, what do you want me to pray for you? And what if they said, for the rest of my life, I'm going to pray one thing for you. What do you want me to pray? Well, out of all the things Paul could have prayed for the Ephesians, he said, I'm praying that you will know the love of God revealed in Christ and coming from the Father, the love of the Father. And and John Owen could say in the book I just referenced a few minutes ago, few believers can carry their hearts and minds to this height by faith to rest their souls in the love of the Father. So he would argue The only rest for the soul is knowing in deep, rich ways the love of the Father for you in particular. And yet, few of us find that rest. It doesn't mean we're not Christians. It just means few of us find that rest, even as Christians. And so that's why Paul's praying what he's praying. It's because it just isn't automatic. And John Owen talks about the fact that you you come to Christ, but you don't understand everything when you come to Christ. And you certainly don't understand the love, the, the unbelievable, in a sense, unknowable love of the Father for you when you first come to Christ. And it's not only going to take a lifetime to learn it, it's going to take a, an eternity to learn, learn it. And it's still going to be surpassing all knowledge. And so he can say, let us see the Father as love. This is John Owen again. Let this be the saint's first notion of the Father. He is one who is full of eternal free love towards them. Let their hearts and thoughts break through 
any discouragement that lies in the way of this idea. He talks a lot about the fact that um, it's one thing to say, I know God loves me. I know the Father loves me. But the reality is we manifest a lack of really believing that in all kinds of ways. And we really wrestle with that. We have doubts and fears and all kinds of struggles in light of that. And the question is, what do we need? And what he says is, in verse, uh, the latter part of verse 16, he says that we need to be strengthened. And so he says, he, he asks that God would grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now he says a lot of things there. He brings in uh, the idea of being strengthened with divine power. He brings in the work of the Holy Spirit. He talks about the inner man as opposed to the outer man. The outer man is our body. The inner man is the immaterial part of us, the spirit or the soul as the Bible talks about it. But he talks about that we'd be strengthened ultimately in faith. That's what he's talking about. In our hearts that our faith would be strengthened, which means I need to see my father better than I do. And I need to trust my father deeper than I do. I need greater faith. And that takes the power of God. The good thing is, God isn't low on power. When it says, may he strengthen you according to the riches of his glory, it's like someone has said, you know, if a rich man, a really rich man, um, gives out of his riches, he can give you a $100 bill. But if he gives you a, something according to his riches, he may give you $25,000. According to the riches means in light of just how much he has to give. Out of it means, well, I can give you a buck or two. But according to means he has wonderful, great, magnificent power And he's ready to pour it out on you lavishly. Ask him for it. And so we see this dynamic going on here where Paul says, you know what? It's not that the Father doesn't love you in the most wonderful way possible. It's that you don't see it like you need to see it. It's like we look through a mirror dimly. And we see the Father and we know that the Bible tells us that he loves us. And that we've been brought into a right relationship with him because of Jesus, and yet we doubt that love, especially when things get hard and difficult, and especially when he ordains things that don't seem very loving. And so we begin to wrestle. And so again, John Owen can say, how are we to um, believe that the Father loves us? And he says it's simply a matter of faith. He says you receive it by believing it. So in order to receive the love of the Father, you have to believe the love of the Father. You have to take him at his word. It's not based on a special experience. It's not based on, um, you know, circumstances. It's a matter of the word of God. One of the interesting things about John Owen is he lost many children, uh, young children, died. I'm not, I don't even remember now exactly how old they were, but he lost a number of children to death. And yet he could still argue um, how important it is to know the love of the Father in all of that, 
and all those circumstances. That was the key thing that kept him going. Some people, he will say, he'll, he'll address some objections. Like some people will say, how can I really know that God loves me? And he says very clearly, um, it's received purely by believing. Knowing it means believing it as it is revealed. Revealed where? Not in your experiences, not in your feelings, but in the Bible. Just as it's revealed in the word of God. Someone else, he said, will object, but I don't see any reason for God to love me. He's talking about as a Christian. He's talking to Christians here. And he says, you know what? Uh, He has spoken, speaking of God, he has spoken of his love as particularly to you as he has to anyone else in the world. What does he mean by that? You have the same Bible everybody else has. And God has said through his word that he loves you as a believer in Jesus. All those who've embraced Jesus, God loves as his children. Um, Someone else uh, would argue, but I can't really rest in the love of the Father for me until I feel like I love him back. Then when I really feel like I love him back, then I can believe that he really delights in me. He said, this is the most preposterous course that your thoughts can take. He says, you're in trouble. If you're going to base the idea that God loves you on your love for him, you're in trouble. And that's why C.S. Lewis could say, you know, it's easier to think about God's love for me than for me to think about my love for God. Because I become much more uncomfortable when I think about my love for him because it's so weak and so imperfect and so flawed in so many ways. doesn't mean it's not real. This means it falls so far short of what it should be. And so he could say that we need to take up the love of the Father as a pure act of believing, which means that I need to feed it. I need to feed it with the word of God. I need to feed it through prayer. Help me, Father, to see what's right there in front of me on the pages of Scripture. Help me to take you at your word when you say that you love me like you love your own son. You love me perfectly. And I need not doubt that no matter what happens. We talks in verse 17 about Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. You might, I might raise the question, what does that mean? I thought Christ was already in our hearts. And he is. The Spirit dwells in us, the Bible says, as Christians. And that means the Spirit of Christ is in us, and Christ is in us, therefore. So what is that talking about? Well, the idea of dwell there is the idea of make your home there. It's the idea if uh, I was to move in with Cameron and Tim and live with them. That would be a different dynamic than me just going over to visit they say, yes, it would. I'm not so there, so sure that'd be a good thing. And so, but it's a different dynamic. There's a depth of fellowship, <laughs> uh, uh, intimacy, participation in that kind of situation that goes far beyond just a, an occasional visit or conversation. So it's talking about uh, through faith, uh, having a deeper, richer fellowship with Christ who reveals the Father to us, right? He came to reveal the Father to us. So to have a deeper fellowship with Jesus is to see the Father in greater, deeper, richer ways. And so that's what Paul is doing here. He's praying about it because, um, again, Owen will talk about the fact that if you look at certain scriptures like, um, you know, like the parable of the talents, you've got the 
the third guy who doesn't do anything with his talent. And why doesn't he do anything with his talent? Because I knew you were a hard man. Knew you were a hard man and, and um, you know, I just couldn't trust you because of your character. And he talks about the fact, um, Owen does, of how even as believers, we are prone because we still have the flesh, we're still sinful, and our sinful hearts still go the direction of having um, thoughts toward God that he's probably upset with me, he's he's probably critical and condemning toward me, you know, because I know how sinful I am, and he even knows it better than I do, and I, I don't love him as much as I should, and all those things. And so we can tend to have hard thoughts of God. And, and there's an interesting verse in Jude, verse 15, where it says when, when Jesus returns in judgment, one of the things that's going to be judged in terms of the judgment of unbelievers is all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against God. All the hard thoughts, all the hard words, all the accusations of you have not loved me. And even as saved sinners, we our flesh goes in that direction. And why does it go in that direction? Owen also highlights the fact that if you think about what happened in the Garden of Eden, what happened in the Garden of Eden? Satan comes and he tempts Adam and Eve and he basically says, has God said this? And do you really think uh, he's got your good? In mind, is he really loving you by saying don't eat from this tree? Or is he really keeping what's good from you? So from the very beginning, Satan's plan, uh, as Owen calls it, his war engine, his war engine is to cast doubt upon the character and the love of God. So that means the world, the flesh, and the devil have... Uh, one overarching goal, and that's to undermine the character of God and especially the love of God toward us. And we have to understand that. And that's why Paul could pray so diligently that they would see the love of God. Well, in verses 17 through 19, he says, I'm praying that you being rooted and grounded in love, which I believe means the foundation of our relationship with God is love. And it's an immovable foundation in Christ but there needs to be a lot built upon that foundation and that's what he's talking about is praying that there be a greater edifice of understanding the love of God built upon that foundational understanding that we still struggle with he says may uh, that you may be able to comprehend that word comprehend means to grasp hold on to it's kind of like um, we often will say you know uh, I just can't get my mind around that, or I just can't get my hand around it. You know, I can't gra- grip it because it's too big. Well, he's praying for the enabling of God so that we can get our minds a little bit more around it than we have before. We'll never get it, get our minds or our hands fully around the love of God for us. It'll take eternity for our hands to get bigger and our minds to get bigger to understand it in deeper, richer ways, and yet our hands can grow, our minds can grow, and he's praying for that to take place. They may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and breadth and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses 
knowledge. So what is the faith that he's really wanting them to have? Like it says in 1 John, we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. That's what he's praying, that that would be the faith that grows, a growing faith in the love of God for them. Um, you know, pick any father here, you could ask them, what do you love? And they could list certain things that they love. One may say, I love hot dogs. And I also love Crocs. just like to put my Crocs on and walk around the house. Um, yes, and eating hot dogs at the same time. And I love my children. And you could say all of that. And why do we use the word love in all those situations? Because there's some similarities there. There's something... Uh, in terms of delight or, or whatever it might be that links all that together. But we would automatically, and without even thinking, recognize that there are g- huge differences between loving hot dogs and loving my children. Even though there's some connection that allows us to say that, we recognize that there are huge differences. And we need to understand that. The reality is a good father loves all children, but a good father loves his own children far more. And so we have to ask the question, just in light of all that we've talked about recently, does the reality that a good father loves all children diminish or deny the special love that he has for his own children? No, we never say that because Dan loves all children that means he couldn't have a special love for his own children. We never say that. We, we know that that's the case, that it's appropriate for Dan to love all children, but to love his own children especially, with a special kind of love. Another question comes to mind, does the reality that a good father loves his own children in greater and more wonderful ways than he loves other children mean that his love for other children is not real or significant or wonderful in its own, in its own right? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that uh, Dan's love for other children must not be real because he has a special love for his own children. And it doesn't mean that Dan's love for other children must not be even very significant or that wonderful. It's just, you know, eh, not even something to be talked about. We would never say that. Dan can have a wonderful love and interaction in relationship with other children, and yet his love for his own children far exceeds his love for those children. And so last week we talked about God's love for the world, God's love for all men, even God's love for those who will never come to trust in Jesus. And you can kind of contrast that kind of love, and I would call it the love of the Creator, You can contrast that with the love of the Father. Both are real. Both are significant. But the love of the Father is far greater. Far greater. We could say that the Creator's love is God's love for all. The Father's love is His love for every single one of His children. We could say the Creator's love is a love for creation and those made in His image whereas the Father's love is the love for those being remade in the image of his Son. The Creator's love is real and sincere. The Father's love for his own children is the greatest love that could be ever experienced. The Creator's love is a kind of love that can have 
hate included in it. The love of the Father is a love that has no kind of hate involved. Now, why do I say that? There are different men who've written on the complexities of God. Um, Someone has written on the complexities of God's emotional life, which we've all experienced complexities of emotions. I mean, have you ever gotten angry with someone you love? Have you ever said about something in particular or an experience, you know, I, I loved and hated that at the same time? I loved it because of what it did for me, but I hated going through it. Wouldn't want to go through it again. So even we experience a complexity of responses and emotions, and we have to realize that God's emotional life is much more complex than ours is. Someone has said God's emotional life is infinitely complex beyond our our ability to fully comprehend. For example, who can comprehend that the Lord hears in one moment of time the prayers of 10 million Christians around the world and sympathizes with each one personally and individually like a caring father? Even though among those 10 million prayers, some are brokenhearted and some are bursting with joy. How can God weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice when they are both coming to him at the same time? In fact, are always coming to him with no break at all so he goes on to say who of us could say what complex of emotions is not possible with god even rc Sproul, before he went to heaven said in a book they wrote on the love of god later when we examine the distinctive types of the love of god we will try to show that certain types of god's love can coexist with a type of kind or kind of divine hatred In the meantime, however, we can say that God may love a person in one sense or in one way, while at the same time hating him in another sense or another way. In essence, not all kinds of divine love are absolutely antithetical to all kinds of divine hatred. Now, why are these people even talking about these things? Because you have verses in the Bible that talk about God hating the wicked. And so how do you put that together with verses that talk about, in various ways, God loving all people, including those he would define as wicked. How do we understand that? And so that's why I say the creator's love for all is a, a righteous mixture. But his love for his own has no hatred in it. It's pure, pure love. And that's an important distinction that I'm trying to make. The love of the creator is partial. It's not a full love. He doesn't bless all men fully as he fully blesses and loves his own children. Uh, The love of the creator is a love of common grace and of provision and compassion and warning and a sincere offer of the gospel. The love of the father is the love of delight and of purchase through Christ and of great and precious promises and of possession of all that God has through being joint heirs with Christ. And it's also a love of fatherly discipline and certainly a love of perfection. The creator's love can be spurned. This love is never spurned because this love transforms us so that we will not spurn it. The creator's love can come to an end. That's why we said uh, to spurn the love of God brings consequences. But the Father's love, when it's placed upon someone, 
is never spurned and it never ends. It's fully and forever. And that's why, uh, with regard to the Creator's love, we could say it sounds like God loves you, but you will die in your sin if you don't repent. Can you put those two things together? God loves you, but you will die in your sin if you don't repent. That's the love of God for all. But the love of God for his children says God loves you like he loves his own son, no matter what, fully and forever. It's a big difference between the two, but it's helpful sometimes to think about that because we don't just want to flatten out what the Bible says about the love of God. It's not all the same. But both are true and both are important. But today we're talking about the love of the Father. That's why 1 John 4 says there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I think Mark mentioned that. That's the love of the Father for us. That's what it's meant to do for us is to eliminate fear. Zephaniah says he will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. That's for all those who are children of God through faith in Jesus. That's where that's coming from. It says he delights in unchanging love to those who are trusting in him. So when it says in Luke 11 and in Matthew 6, why do you worry? Why do you worry? Um, where's your faith? You know, uh, God the Father provides for the birds and he provides for the flowers. Um don't you know that you're of much greater value to God than the birds and the flowers? Jesus is saying, don't you realize how much the Father loves you? You think he's going to just ignore your need? You think he's just going to turn his back on you? Don't you know how much he loves you? It's really fascinating to read John Owen because he says... Um, you can't offend God more as his child than to doubt his love for you. That's, that grieves him more than anything. Is when we doubt our father's love. And we all do. But that grieves him when we do. And that's why Paul could pray that we would grow in our appreciation of that. And what he does here is he talks in this verse about the different ways in verse 18. Now, a lot of people will say, really don't know what all Paul had in mind when he talks about the, the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God. But others will go a little further and say, well, maybe he had this in mind or that in mind. And I think in light of Paul's praying that we would try to understand better God's love, I think he is trying to point us in certain directions. And so one way to think of what he has in mind when he says the breadth of God's love, he's talking about its wideness. Or he's talking about how many the Father will love as his children. And why would I say that? Well, One of the things that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2 is how he's broken down the dividing wall between the Gentiles and the Jews so that the Jews thought it was just them. That were loved by God. And now the gospel says, no, it's extended. That God's arms are open wide to the Gentiles as well. And the reality is, it says in Revelation, verse 7, excuse me, uh, chapter 7, verse 9, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count 
from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. So how wide is God's love? So wide you can't even count how many people God has placed his fatherly love upon. What about the length of his love? I would say that points to how long the father has and will love his children. How long has he loved us? He's loved us before he created us. That's what the Bible says. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself. You could say that the Father has always loved you. From the, the word everlasting in the Old Testament is the picture of from vanishing point, as far as you can see that way, to vanishing point, as far as you can see that way. That's how far, how long God has loved you and me. As far as you can see that way in the past, as far as you can see that way in the future. That's how long God has and will love you. What about the depth of his love? How, in a sense, you could say, how low has the Father gone? He went low enough to send his son to die for God-haters. That's what we were, naturally, before God changed us. God-haters. And it says that Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so in a few minutes when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we will be celebrating the depth of God's love for us. That he would go so far as to love depraved sinners, God-haters, and that he would go to the very pit of hell to do it. He could not go any lower in order to bring us to himself. And then finally, what about the height of his love? I think that speaks of how great are the blessings given to us by the Father. In Ephesians, verse 1, as I said, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 3 says, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He hasn't left out anything. It says in chapter 2 that he saved us that by his grace that we might experience the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In uh, verse 8 of chapter 3, it talks about the unfathomable riches of Christ. Earlier in Ephesians 2, 2, it talks about how we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That means we're seated with him on the throne of the universe. We reign with him. So that the height that he's brought us to is the highest point he could bring us to. He went to the lowest point he could go to rescue us, and he brought us to the highest point he could bring us as a result of all that. There's so much more to be said. Um, but let me just conclude. It says in verse 19 he, that Paul is praying all this, but it's with a goal in view. Knowing God's love for me is huge, but Paul is praying it that it might result in something. That it, not, that it wouldn't simply be, I'm so glad God loves me. And stop right there. And it not impact my love for other people. And not even be returned to the Father. 
And so it says that the purpose of all this, this revelation, this deeper revelation, is that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. The fullness of what? Jesus was full of grace and truth, which means he was full of love. That's what it means. And um, Paul is going to go on to say in Ephesians 5, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. How do you walk in love? You have to be growing in your sense that God loves you, that you're beloved. Because we're going to translate that to others as well. The last thing he says is in verse 20 and 21, where he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's meant to say that it takes infinite power to convince you of infinite love. But he's able to do far more than you can ever ask him to do or ever imagine that he will do. Can you imagine being, feeling more loved than you do right now? Can you imagine actually being overwhelmed with the love of God? Can you imagine loving people around you like God does? Sometimes I wonder about myself. The Bible says he's able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think. There's a story of a, a guy who became homeless and a tramp for about a year. And he walked up to this guy on the side of the street and he tapped on his shoulder and said, excuse me, sir, could you give me a dime? And the guy turned around and he recognized him and he realized it was his father that he hadn't seen in a long time. And all of a sudden, the, the guy who asked for the dime said, Father, Father, do you know me? And the father said, Oh, my son, at last I found you. I found you. You want a dime? Everything I have is yours. You're asking for a dime for me? Why don't you ask for something more? Because it all belongs to you. And I'm ready to give it to you. Ask me. Ask me for it. He said, I stood begging my own father for 10 cents. When for 18 years he'd been looking for me to give me all that he had. How long has God been looking to us and to say, I want to give you all that I have. Ask me for it. Ask me for it. Um, so two quick applications. What do we want to do as fathers? We want to point to the Heavenly Father. None of us and ourselves can satisfy the need that people have, including our own children. It's only the the love of the Heavenly Father that can satisfy our souls and His fathers were to point to the Heavenly Father. But we also need to ponder the love of God for us more. Uh, Owen argues and um, Martin Lloyd-Jones argues that uh, those who have been the greatest in the church have been those who have spent the most time thinking and pondering the love of God. And so Owen could conclude with this. He says, If the love of a father will not make a child delight in him, what will? Put this to the test. Ponder the eternal, free, and fruitful love of the father and see if your heart isn't stimulated to delight in him. So what do we do? We pray. We ponder what the word of God says, not how we feel, not what other people say, not what our circumstances say. We ponder the, the word of God 
And as we begin to rejoice more and trust more in the love of our Father, we seek to imitate that love and show that love to other people around us and return it to him in praise and honor. Let's pray. Father, we, we desire we desire to know and believe the love that you have for us. We pray that you would help us to point to you as the only satisfaction of our souls, whether it's pointing our children or others to you. And we pray that you'd help us to ponder and to pray for a greater revelation of your love for us. And may it transform us so that we love more like you love and that we love you more and delight in you more because we see in greater, deeper, richer ways your perfect love for us. Please help us. We thank you for your love. We love you and pray that we would love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.